2022. It is the Derek Hunter Show, and happy Friday to you. Glorious, wonderful, marvelous Friday. I'm Derek Hunter. I'm your host. Appreciate the use of your ears more than you could know. And let's be honest, if you weren't lending them to me, you'd probably be wasting them anyway. But still, I appreciate it. All right. Uh, I want to get to the show because i got a lot to blather on about. But I want to remind you, of course, naturally, as always, if you are a subscriber, a supporter of the program, don't forget at midnight tonight you will have the uh, Weekend F and Review up and ready for your listening pleasure. If you're not, what are you waiting for? This is your chance. You go there and you enter to win. Five bucks a month to get a chance to win an autographed book by Mike Lee or Mark Levin. Mike Lee or Mark Lee, you can't lose in that dynamic. And I uh, know like, there's a lot more coming up in the future. Got more Mark Levin books, too. So there you go. Go to patreon.com slash Derek Hunter podcast or go to derekhunter.locals.com. Your choice. Two ways to support the program. No waiting. Appreciate all the support. Now let us start the show. Okay, we've got a lot going on in the world today. The... Uh, What's interesting, the big news, I guess, is the fact that the Prime Minister of Great Britain has resigned, Boris Johnson. He's described as the British Donald Trump, which I think was mostly because of the hair. They both had, well, Donald Trump had a comb, has a comb, uses a comb. His hair is, he always puts it right where he wants it. Boris Johnson just kind of goes to bed after a shower and lets his hair do whatever happens to it while he's sleeping. I, I think his comb is like my comb, which is four fingers. And, uh, and it's just keep it out of your face. That's it. But he has resigned after something like 50 different ministers had resigned from his cabinet. And you sit there and you go, what? How many cabinet members do they have? Oh, it's, it's the cabinet members and then their subordinates and everything. It was a coordinated attack. I uh, honestly, it's not that big of a deal. He's going to stick around until October and watch what happens. I'm going to make a prediction now without knowing that much about the situation because it has something to do with he appointed somebody to be a minister that has uh, not a, like a religious minister, but to be a minister who has been accused of sexual assault. It's all in the accusation stage. Apparently, it wasn't the first rodeo. Somebody else had accused this person in the past. And uh, it used to be there was a time... And now, granted, you didn't often appoint somebody who'd been accused of, of anything to a position. But there was a time in this country, in this... Well, not this country, but in this society, in this world, where you were innocent until proven guilty. And now the allegation is enough. The allegation is enough. And uh, his cabinet, which had uh, his party, which had just voted him, uh, voted, had a vote of no confidence fail in him about a month ago. And all those people, by the way, who uh, resigned, voted in favor of, oh, no, no, we have total confidence in Boris Johnson. They've now gone the other way. I don't know what's really going on behind the scenes. I don't think anybody does. But he says he's going to be 
around until the party picks a new leader. There's going to be a big scrap, knockdown, dragout fight, I imagine. Weirdly, among a lot of the people who uh, resigned saying they had no confidence in him anymore, they will be involved in trying to replace him, which will be interesting to see whether or not any of them have enough support to get it. And I'm going to, like I say, I'm going to go out on a uh, limb here and make a little bit of a prediction that since he's planning on sticking around till at least October, till the party gets their act together and decides who should succeed him, I think it's going to end up being like Dick Cheney leading George W. Bush's search for a vice president. Where he just looked into the bathroom mirror one day and said, oh my goodness, that's the guy who should be the vice presidential nominee. Me, I found me. I suspect that it, it, it's a long shot. Anything is possible. The British government is vastly different than our government over here. Could They could find a party leader tomorrow and, and Boris is out. But I suspect that Boris Johnson will succeed Boris Johnson, if I had to guess. Because Boris Johnson wants the job. Other people want the job, but they don't have the support. And you got to have the support to get the job. And therefore... With Johnson holding the job currently, that gives him an advantage. And so I suspect that when the entire search is done, they will have decided that Boris Johnson can stay. That's the only because realistically, Boris, if Boris Johnson was accepting of his fate, here's what you do: is you say, "Well, you know what? I accept the decision. I uh, I resign effective immediately." And you know what happens? The next in line follows up. Now, the, then the party scrambles and everything. This decision can be uh, made without Boris Johnson being a party to it, without Boris Johnson being a seat filler until then. But uh, hes I suspect he's playing his cards pretty close to the vest. Again, I could be wildly inaccurate on this, but I doubt it. Because you just watch this drama over there, and you normally, the way that the... Uh, British system, the parliamentary system over in Britain, if there's an election, say there was an election, and God forbid somebody like Jeremy Corbyn, the leader of the Liberal Party over there, ends up, end up won. He won. Boris Johnson would have 24 hours to get the hell out of number 10 Downing Street. That's it. When the election's coming up and if it's close, you got to pretty much have your bags packed just in case things go against you. So they don't mess around. They don't uh, sit there and go, well, we need some time to figure this out. Here we have a very long transition. I think it's a little bit better. I would like to see our transition maybe shortened a little bit, but certainly I'd like to see certain authorities of the President of the United States be removed, like the ability to pardon. I'd like to see the ability to pardon if a president loses be wiped away immediately so that that president can't pardon anybody on their way out the door. So you can't get a Mark Rich, Bill Clinton situation where he's, oh, how much for a pardon? Oh, sure, I'll pardon you for that kind of $100 million or whatever it was. So I'd like to see that changed. But otherwise, what's going on over in the UK isn't going to change all that much in the short term. I know there's a lot of speculation that there is um, maybe, just maybe, a push by if the left wins 
in whatever future election they hold, because they will have to hold another election relatively soon, that they could reverse Brexit. I don't know. There's uh, a lot like in this country, there is this uh, conventional wisdom that there's buyer's remorse over Brexit. There's buy- it was just like, oh, there's buyer's remorse over electing Donald Trump. There's buyer's remorse over anything that the conventional wisdom left doesn't win. They say, well, they did it, but they don't don't really know what they're doing. And they're going to regret this. And then, oh, God, no, everybody regrets what's going on here now. Everybody regrets what's happening here. It's always conservative voters regret what they've done. There's nothing to back it up except for the little roundtable powwow at Morning Joe in the green room where they say, you know what? I, I bet you those people are really regretting what they've they've done. That horrible, horrible freedom that they voted to embrace is really screwing them up, and we can't can't have that. So you you sit there and uh, you hear all the stories about oh, angry Britons over Brexit. Well, uh, no, you can find just like you can find you go to Newsweek, you go to Time Magazine, you go to Politico, you go to Washington Post, you go to New York Times, and what do you see? Backlash against Republicans. This outrage over such and you go, what's going on? And you go, oh, that there are three anonymous Twitter accounts that have been uh, cited in this story. They are the justification for this story. And you sit there and you go, that the most any of these accounts has follower wise is twelve. They were all started within the past three weeks. I don't really think that they have their their finger on the pulse of America, and they don't. What they do is they have their finger on the pulse of the newsroom, in particular the reporter there who desperately wants to write this. They probably want to be a columnist. They desperately want to write the story in X, Y, or Z. And then they say, well, I can't do that. My editors won't let me. But if I can find some tweets that convey what I wish I could say, then I could write the story based on that. They used to do this all the time. I wrote about this in my book a couple years ago, where every Monday morning after the, uh, what's his face, the uh, John Oliver show on HBO, every Monday morning there's Newsweek and Time. They don't do it so much anymore because now they just kind of do it. It's, It's slowly going away, but this is how it worked. It was biased by proxy. You watch John Oliver, which has a, I don't know, less than a million viewers. In the grand scheme of things, in television viewers, it is minor. It is tiny, his audience. He's on a pay channel, which already limits it. So, And most people don't know who the hell he is because mo- a lot of people don't have HBO and most people don't watch John Oliver. But he says something every Sunday night that he has a show that a liberal journalist goes, yeah, damn right, you're damn right. And they wish they could say it themselves. So what happens is you wake up Monday morning and John Oliver eviscerates GOP on issue X, Y, or Z. John Oliver just blast, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, whoa, okay, why are you writing about this? And you read the story and it's like, okay, so there's a couple throwaway lines in his monologue. Not really newsworthy because in the grand scheme of things, who gives a damn what a comedian says at 11 o'clock on HBO on a Sunday night? Is that earth shattering? John Oliver is not out there winning friends and influencing people. He's out there preaching to the choir. 
is it news that a, a priest says, uh, you know, follow the Bible? No, it's not. So it's not news that John Oliver says conservatives suck. That's that's his religion. That's his shtick. But the reporters and the news outlets desperately wanted to say those same things, but they couldn't. They had that remaining veneer of we're above these sorts of things. Now, they don't write about John Oliver very often anymore, and um, it's because they've that veneer is gone. It's been set on fire. Same thing with John Stewart. When John Stewart was on The Daily Show, it was probably the most talked about show in all of media. There was a poll that showed that people 18 to 34, whatever it was, I forget, young people all said, oh, their number one source, their most trusted anchor man in the country was John Stewart. I don't know if they were being uh, funny or if they were really that misinformed, but whatever it was. And, Okay, but how many people in the 18 to 34 age bracket were watching anything? How many of them know who Tom Brokaw is? I watched news when I was a kid, but I was the exception. I didn't go around with my friends going, hey, did you see what Brokaw said last night? What about about Jennings going off? No, because they'd go, who the hell are you talking? What are you talking about? So the fact that the young people say, John Stewart is their anchor of choice or their most trusted anchor really just shows the bastardization of the definition of the word anchor. Not really that people are getting, you know, really genuinely trust John Stewart. But nevertheless, when John Stewart was at the height of his powers on The Daily Show, being covered by Time Newsweek on the covers of these things, having uh, events, I think they were in Central Park or whatever. They were just, he was huge. He was ubiquitous. Everywhere was covering him. He was being beaten the ratings by reruns of Family Guy on the Cartoon Network at the height of his powers. He didn't make a million viewers most nights. Family Guy reruns from like 10 years earlier were beating him. But you would never know it from the amount of news coverage that you got. That show 30 Rock, I love the show 30 Rock. 30 Rock's a great, hilarious show. If you're looking to binge on a show, um, you got to give it a couple episodes to really get its rhythm. But once you get it, man, it's a funny, funny show. It was the most popular television show in the country amongst reporters who covered television shows. Amongst the general public, it didn't make the top 100. It just didn't. But when it went off the air, you would have thought it was the final episode of MASH or Seinfeld or something. All the cover- Oh, here's Tina Fey. She's finally hanging it up after years of making us all love and respect. Like Most people are going, what, what show is this? 30 Rock? Is it about 30 Stones? Like, what's going on here? There's a massive disconnect between what the media reports and the way media reports it. It's not just the way they report, disconnect between reality. It's what they choose to report on. It's what they choose to recognize. There's a picture going around right now. Did you know that Nancy Pelosi spent her 4th of July on a private beach in Italy? She's on vacation over there in Italy. She took uh, communion from the Pope. Her and her husband are over there. Presumably they have a driver. Uh, they're having to pretend, I would suggest, that they are in a happy marriage and all is well 
while the lawyers back in San Francisco try to get his DUI charges wiped clean. Probably will happen. They're just picking the best moment to it. You got to delay it. You got to delay it. You got to drag it out. And then when people sort of go for that yawn or it's like a movie, right? sooner or later, somebody's got to go to the bathroom. All right, now we'll go. We'll have an intermission as long as the bladder can hold out. And when you're in the bathroom, then they, uh, they'll drop the charges or they'll reduce them. There'll be some sort of plea bargain where he'll have to write a check and not really do much of anything and ha- certainly will not have to explain himself. We'll never see the dashboard footage or anything like that. We'll never know if there was another lady in the car, as has been whispered about. But Nancy Pelosi is... Uh, on a private beach in Italy on the 4th of July, while Americans, by the way, I don't know if you know this or not, we're suffering from inflation, thanks to Democrat policies. It is the ultimate in let them eat cake. And there's a picture of Nancy Pelosi in a cleavage bearing. Uh, let me try that again without the gag reflex. In a cleavage bearing bathing suit. No, but you don't need that visual to tell the story that the third in line to the presidency is on the other side of the planet living large because she's worth several hundred million dollars with her husband who's currently charged, at least for now, with DUI. And there's a lot that could be done, a lot that needs to be done in this country, or so Democrats tell us. What do they tell us? Well, we'll not rest until X, Y, or Z is done. No, I'm going to... uh, I'm going to take a vacation to Italy. Okay. I guess. I mean, it seems like a big disconnect. But you don't hear that in the news. If it were a Republican, you'd hear it. How many times on a loop did you see George W. Bush say, uh, we're going to get Osama bin Laden wherever he is. Now, step back and watch this drive. Remember that? Michael Moore used it. Step back and watch this drive. Okay. We saw that. It was stupid. Bush should have been smarter than that. Nancy Pelosi doesn't have to be smarter than that because she knows she's got a ring of protection around her with press credentials. That's the difference between being a Republican and a Democrat. So I'd take anything out of the UK with a grain of salt till we see what happens. I'm looking, I keep looking at this thing on my computer screen and I see this headline, former cheer star Jerry Harris sentenced to 12 years in federal prison for sex crimes. And so I, I, every time I see it, I think, who the hell's Jerry Harris? What, was he like a marginal character in the, in the background of the bar? Like, who the hell was it? As, I thought I knew Cheers. I thought I knew all. And then you go, oh, like the cheer is missing an S. I get it now. It's missing an S. It's not the same. It's not Cheers. There is a show, I think there's, I don't know if it's a reality show or if it's, I honestly don't know anything about it, except I think it was on one of the streaming things, maybe Netflix. But okay, somebody's going to to jail. I don't know who it is. There's so many outlets now, it's hard to keep up with everything. Speaking of uh, somebody spreading around going to jail or whatever, I guess that's not a really good analogy. But I'm looking at this, and you keep hearing about monkeypox, 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 monkeypox. And I'm reminded, because <clears throat> they say, well, monkeypox monkey is spreading. Everybody be careful with monkeypox. Watch out, monkeypox coming to get you. And then you look at the data. And the reporting on the data, which has yet to be completely censored, although it will be soon. 
According to the World Health Organization, 99.5% of people with monkeypox where they have collected the data. That's 4,385 out of 4,406 were among men. Were among men who have sex with other men. Gay men. There you go. Gay men. But what do you hear? Monkeypox. We don't know the cause. We don't know what's going on. We don't know how it's... We do. We kind of do. And I'm reminded of the 1990s. If you were alive in the 1990s, uh, you and you watched MTV at all in the 1990s. You undoubtedly saw what? You saw your favorite rock star sitting there going, AIDS will come get you wherever you are. AIDS is coming to get... AIDS is out there right now looking for you. Watch out. It's like a loan shark that you owe money to. It's not going to sit there and just leave you alone. AIDS is hunting you down. The only way to protect yourself is to wear a condom all the time. Every when you go to sleep at night, when you wake up in the morning, when you always have a condom on, that's the only because AIDS will get you. AIDS is going for everybody, everywhere. And you, you go, oh man, God, AIDS is coming. You're afraid to answer the door. You think AIDS is out there, and then you learn later on when you become more cynical that government was lying to you. The left wing organizations, the nonprofits, and the gay charities, and everything, the human rights campaign, and all they were making it up. AIDS was certainly possible to get through heterosexual sex, but it was so wildly rare as to not really register. It was not exclusively, but almost a disease amongst gay men. Horrible, horrible. Horrible disease, and, and it's much better off now that it's sorry, it's not defeated, but it is certainly not a death sentence that it was. But we were lied to the whole time. Oh, no, AIDS, AIDS equal opportunity. AIDS goes after everybody. Like, really? Like, uh, I remember Ryan White, a kid who got it through a blood transfusion. Otherwise, I don't remember all that many heterosexuals getting it. Certainly some, but not all that many seems like a very specific group of people that is being hit the hardest. And the reason that they, they sit there and you go, well, why would you lie? Why would you, dare I say, why would you engage in the big lie? Why would you engage in the big, well, the big lie was useful to, they wanted to make sure that nobody was stigmatized. They didn't want to stigmatize gay people as doing it. And the name of compassion, it really sort of exemplifies liberalism. Oh, we, in the name of compassion, we've got to do this. We've got to pretend, blah, blah, blah. Let's uh, tell everybody it's coming for everybody. Let's actually not really focus all that much on gay men who are being hit hardest because we wouldn't want to stigmatize gay men. What happened? You got a whole bunch of heterosexuals going, oh my God, I need to dip myself in latex before I go to the mall, let alone have sex. I got to be safe, 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 safe. And gay men are going, well, you know, I don't have to take any special precautions. All the PSAs are about how AIDS is going for straight people. How many gay men got AIDS and died of AIDS because resources that should have been spent targeting gay men saying, hey, you got to use a at a minimum you got to use a condom but that money was spent on MTV with uh, i don't know 
Jesus Jones and uh, who's popular? Nirvana going, AIDS is coming for you. Yeah. How many of that? It's uh, amazing to me how we have medical professionals who look at what's going on in medicine and just go, meh, forget it. I'd rather this be the story. You'd rather this be the story? Right now we're dealing with the ramifications of lockdowns, the aftermath of lockdowns. Our idiot president called for states to use leftover COVID money. Now, if there's leftover money, I might suggest that you, I don't know, return it to why not spend it but when you've got a democrat out there they see leftover they first of all they think all money is theirs and so leftover money is well just spend it on something else just piss it away on something else like, uh, not super helpful but uh, maybe we'll get to that in a second but he's calling for uh 250 that money to be spent to buy buy to employ two hundred and fifty thousand tutors across the country to help students who were damaged by Democrat lockdowns. 250,000. They used to be called teachers. You know, maybe teachers would, remember told distance learning, there's, distance learning is doing fabulous. It's doing wonders for what's going on for these kids. We've been able to not miss a beat in their education because they're in front of their computer screen. Oh, Okay. Why do you need 250,000 tutors? And if there are 250,000 teachers, hey, teachers, how about you do your jobs? Here's a novel idea. Let's save the money and get teachers who do their damn jobs. Wouldn't that be nice? I know, it's crazy talk. But he wants to hire 250,000 tutors. Where does he think these people are going to come from? There are 250,000 really good math teachers out there just doing nothing but sitting on their thumbs at home going, meh. Nothing but time on my hands. I'm going to play some Xbox. This is great. I love this. No. This is a payoff to the teachers' unions. Why is it a payoff? How can you say that? Well, where are those 250,000 people going to come from? If states authorize billions of dollars to be spent hiring tutors over the summer to uh, at probably an exorbitant rate, they'll most likely be in blue states because those are the ones that did the most damage to their kids with extended lockdowns. But they will uh, be teachers. Teachers have summers off. If you want to get, if your kid is behind on science and you need a science teacher, you need somebody who knows science, there's a science teacher with three months off. If you offer them, and it's government, it's quote-unquote free money, if you say, hey, $50,000 for three months worth of uh, science tutoring, I bet you that anybody's plans for the beach can be postponed. I bet all those teachers or a lot of those teachers who are partially responsible for kids falling behind will go, okay, yeah, sure, I'll take another giant chunk of government money. That'll be great. I'm game. Democrats create a problem. Democrats solve a problem. Democrats go, oh, my goodness. Big government has failed us. What we need is bigger government. That's what we need. That's the only way to fix this debacle that big government has caused. Every single damn time. Down in Australia. Again, it's Australia, but it's human beings. The headline from the Daily Mail. Australia under siege from multiple viruses. Experts say lockdowns have demolished our immunity. What? 
Scroll down here. We're facing a multi-demic of respiratory viruses. Sydney University infectious disease expert Professor Robert Bowie, Boy, Boo, Boo, e, B, B-O-O-Y, said there's uh, three or four of them causing trouble. Influenza, RSV, para-influenza, arendavirus, HMPV. There's, I don't know if those mean anything to anybody, but there you go. Quote, because we were locked down for two years, the level of natural immunity dropped off against flu and COVID. So we have a lot of cases and deaths due to Omicron and the opening of a society with less natural immunity. If you want to uh, spread an infection, open up society, end quote. Don't you love that? If you want to spread it, now what are they going to do? They're going to be leftists out there going, we need to keep social distancing. We need to maintain social, we need to keep lockdowns, we need to do this, we need to do that, we need to do the other thing. Government creates a problem, government says, we've got the solution, only we have the solution. We're the only ones who care. Yeah, it's like burning down a house and then sitting there going, you know what, I'll take you, you guys, uh, you lost your house, that's a shame. I'll take you into my house. You can sleep in the basement or you can sleep in the shed or something. Like, oh, I'm super compassionate. Well, you caused the problem. Maybe you didn't do it out of malice. You did it out of benign neglect. But whatever the case is, you caused the problem. You are not the solution to it. New South Wales alone is facing a massive outbreak of RSV, which can kill infants. The numbers skyrocketed tenfold from 355 to 3,775 cases a week in under a month. Businesses across the East Coast have also been decimated by staff falling ill as the range of viruses wreak havoc and spread like wildfire. See, I don't know who needs to hear this, but apparently a lot of people need to hear this, particularly people, the people who claim the loudest. Always beware of anybody who proclaims themselves to be anything. Just if there any, I am the most compassionate person. Now nah, they probably beat their dog. Honestly, the people who tell you what they are, who they are. I'm the most honest person. I'm exactly how I am here, as you find me everywhere. I'm just a good old-fashioned guy, and and everybody says, "Oh, he's just wonderful." When there's a microphone in front of him, this person's wonderful. Oh, they're just compassionate. They're this that. And the, I guarantee you I've known too many people like that. Behind the scenes, they are uh, insufferable jackasses. But anybody who tells you they care so deeply about the children, they care so deeply about the children, they generally don't. I'm thinking of President Fauci. He doesn't seem to care about anything or anybody. He seems to... He seems to have fallen down a rabbit hole and is unwilling or unable to get out of it. He can't even admit that despite all the data and all the evidence and everything else there, that masking up everybody, probably not a good idea. That COVID didn't really impact kids and the repercussions of what the lockdowns did and the distance learning did to kids is going to be much, much worse than the pandemic ever was. Because it's not only the lost learning, it is the lost immunity. You need to sort of go out and roll around in the dirt. You need to sort of go and play with other kids and and, uh, be exposed to certain things. Because here's a little secret. I'm not a medical doctor, but I I do play one on the radio. You are exposed to viruses 
almost all day long, particularly when you leave the house. You're very just exposed to a lot of different things. Bacterias too. And uh, what happens is you're not exposed to a ton of it, but your body recognizes it as, hey, that's a virus, or hey, that's bacteria, hey, that's bad. And your body kicks the ever-loving crap out of it, right? And that's before it has a chance to really grow and spread. And guess what? Your body kicking the ever-loving crap out of whatever you've been exposed to, your body now goes, oh, yeah, hey, I recognize that guy. It's like somebody's been thrown out of a club and then sneaks back into the club and the bouncer's like, hey, I remember you. Get out. I remember you from last Friday when you started that fight. Get out. You're out. And if you got to rough them up, you got to rough them up a little bit. Your body builds up immunity to these sorts of things. But just like any muscle that isn't flexed, that isn't used, your body, your immune system can atrophy as well. Now, in kids, it hasn't really had a chance to really get going. So it's more dramatic. So you you sit there and you go, all right, well, uh, now you can go out and play a little bit. And when they're exposed to something that they hadn't been exposed to before, that their body would normally have have been exposed to a lot by now, um, when it comes time to beating it up or throwing it out of the club, it's tougher. It's a lot tougher. Sometimes it can't do it. And you end up with somebody dying. I'm... My kids have been sick a couple of times. You know, I hate every time my kids are sick. But during the pandemic, they've gotten sick a couple times. Colds or flus or maybe COVID, who knows. But I'm glad that they did because they, uh, their immune system had a chance to kick the crap out of it. They go out and roll around in the dirt. They go to the playgrounds and wrestle around with other kids and what have you. Uh, it's nerve-wracking from just a standpoint of, you know, some big kid's going to hurt them or whatever. But in general, it's it's good for them psychologically and it's good for their immune system. And you have Australia being overrun with horrible, not overrun. I mean, the numbers are the numbers. The population is much bigger than the numbers, but it's media hype. But the concept is the problem, a tenfold increase in one particular virus means that you're probably exposed to this virus today but your body's used to beating it it doesn't even matter it doesn't even bat an eye in australia and kids they're confused by it their bodies don't know what to do with it that's a result of the lockdowns because they weren't exposed to it in small doses when their immune system was really ramping up. In the beginning, as an as a infant, your immune system is really sort of starting to click and starting to ramp up, and it's looking to fight everything, and it can fight almost everything, and it's great. And the more you're exposed to, the better off you are. And thanks to lockdowns, these newborns have been denied that. They won't admit it, just like they'd never admitted in the 90s that... AIDS was, by and large, mostly impacted gay men, or like they'll admit now that monkeypox impacts mostly gay men, and there's a pretty easy way to avoid it is don't engage in risky behavior, at least unprotected risky behavior. They won't do that because that would be too stigmatizing. They'd rather have the body count spread out over everywhere than actually protect people. It's a sickness, really. I'm looking at uh, this list. Of th- I don't know where this comes from. The Daily Shot. I don't know what the Daily Shot is, but there's some guy who tweeted it. This is inter- I find this interesting. This is how my mind works. I'm distracted now. 
It has a uh, list, the ranking of sports by degree of difficulty for key skills. Now, what are the key skills? Agility, analytic aptitude, durability, endurance, flexibility, hand-eye coordination, nerve, which they describe as the ability to overcome fear, power, the ability to produce strength in the shortest possible time, speed, and strength. Now, these are the various categories. Now, the, the overall degree of difficulty, the most, I guess I, was, I thought it was hockey, but it's boxing. Boxing is apparently the most uh, difficult sport. The uh, total number, the number, I'm not going to, the numbers are irrelevant. It's 72.41, whatever the hell that is. And then hockey is at 71.77. I would say that hockey is, hockey combines a lot of the things of boxing, quite frankly. But it's boxing, hockey, football, basketball, wrestling, martial arts, tennis, gymnastics, then you get to baseball and softball, soccer, and then skiing, water polo, things like that. Now, that's a very comprehensive list of things. Then you go down to the bottom. Then you end up in the, is this a sport category? This is where you can get into trouble with people because you sit there and you go, well, that's not really a sport. I am of the belief and I will, uh, I don't even think it's on the list. No, it is on the list. How in the hell is this on the list? It's in the middle of the list. It's in the middle of the pack. Car racing. That is, it gets an overall score, auto racing, of uh, 47.9, whatever that is. Let's see. Hand eye nerve. Nerve is the one with the biggest. Nerve is, yeah, it does take a lot of nerve to go 220 miles an hour around a track. But um, sitting there and you're like, endurance is, you got to stay awake. You got to be able to not pee yourself or actually not mind that you're actually peeing yourself. I just don't see, I view car racing, here we go, send all emails to management. I view car racing not as a sport. Auto racing is not a sport. The machine is doing the work. So many of the... I've known a lot of people who just absolutely love NASCAR. I get it. And I can already read your emails in my head about you don't know this and you don't know... No, I know. I know I don't know. But I still have an opinion on it. And auto racing is not a sport. It is like the others, an activity at which you can compete. But it is not a sport. Because how many of these races, and I, I, an ex-girlfriend of mine, her father was a, like a muckety-muck engineer at Ford. And he loved watching that. It was the most boring. I hated being over to their house on a weekend because he's just sitting there watching. He'd get physically mad that Chevy was winning and like Ford is out there and Ford needs to do this, that, and the other. And it's like, who cares, dude, really, honestly? Uh, but he cared deeply. And he always talked about how what they needed to do. It was never, this guy needs to drive better. It was how they needed to tune the engine. It was all the stuff that would be done, not even really in the pits. The pits are just kind of keep going, keep it going, what's going on. These were things that needed to be done in the building of the car before the race started. And I'm thinking that's that's a competition, like who can build the best car, and then you got to go and prove it for 200 laps. But it is not really a sport, 
like Lego building is a competition. It's not a sport. I wouldn't say it's a sport. You can you can sweat from nerves. You can sweat from anxiety, but you're not really going to the caloric burn and the muscle reflex. It's just I don't consider that to be a sport. So you get down to the bottom. I don't know. I disagree totally with uh, auto racing being in the middle here. What is what is listed above or just below auto racing? Track and field, high jump and long jump are listed just below auto racing and diving, swimming. Are you kidding me? Skateboarding, track and field, sprints, rowing. These are all things that this... Anyway, you get to the bottom of the list. <sighs> we'll go from... Okay, right here is another... It, it becomes at a certain point activities. Activities at which you can compete, not sports. I know. You can go ahead. Send me the the hate mail. Cheerleading. Activity. Golf. Not a sport. It's a skill. It's an activity. I know. I know. Go ahead. Whine and complain. And then equestrian. Riding a riding a horse is not look, riding a horse can wear you out. Riding a horse can hurt your butt. Riding a horse can hurt your hips. You hold on to the reins and everything. Uh, but it is not a sport. The horse is doing most of the work. If something else is doing most of the work, and like, okay, equestrian would be a sport if horses naturally ran into things, right? If a, if a horse running around in a field by itself and there's some wood piled up and the horse just stupidly rams into it like a moron. Because then, okay, the person causes it to jump over the thing. But I think a horse has enough sense to go, I'm going to jump over this thing. Whether there's somebody on it with the boots and a helmet pulling it, uh, it's reins or, or not. So it's not a sport. Archery, activity, not a sport. Curling. I don't even know what the hell curling is. I've watched hours and hours of curling growing up in Detroit on the CBC. You watch that and you're like, I don't, I understand less. The more I watch of curling, the less I understand of it. And you think, oh, this is just like shuffleboard. Then you think, how much do you actually know about shuffleboard? Probably not a lot. But then you see somebody do something and they go, oh, that's a good shot. And then somebody else do, and the other team do the exact same thing and they go, oh, that's too bad. Like, what the hell? How does that change? Uh, bowling. I have been in bowling leagues. It is not a sport. If you, I'm reminded of the scene from Kingpin, the great scene from the awesome movie Kingpin. A little bit of a gross-out movie if you're not, if you can't handle that. But otherwise, a great, great movie where uh, the Randy Quaid character is looking around. And says, it's really intimidating to be in the presence of so many great athletes, and there's just a row of 15-month pregnant dudes eating pizza and like those are the if you can it's not it's not a sport if that dude can be at the top of the game shooting again it's a skill not a sport billiards not a skill or skill not a sport but the least uh, let's see by degree of difficulty apparently the easiest sport that's not a sport in the world to do is fishing now, fishing is not a sport. You can compete. You know who can catch the biggest fish. I would argue that it's it's not even really that much of a skill. 
because who caught the biggest fish? It's not a secret to catching the biggest fish. You throw the bait out there with the hook and a fish bites it. You don't have any control over which fish bites it. You don't see what the hell is going on. You don't know what's going on under the water. You just, I think there's a fish over there. It's going to bite it. But you sit there and you you can go, I got the biggest fish. You didn't do it. You di- You just lucked into it. If you want to maybe do like who can catch the most fish, then again, it's all sort of luck of where you set up and the thing. I don't know. I'm not anti-fishing. I enjoy fish. I have fish. I eat fish. But it is not a, oh, going to the gym. I'm not going to go to the gym today. I'm going to go have a more serious workout. I'm going to go stand on the banks of a lake and fling a hook out into it for a couple hours. Uh, that'll be. That's it. That's it exactly. If if the main part of your body is standing still, it's not a sport. Not a sport. So anyway, I thought I'd just point that out because I found that fascinating there. I'd put bo- a hockey above boxing. Like you got to have guts to play hockey. And so many hockey, you should get more points and nerve because so many of the uh, people who play hockey throw themselves down in front of that violent projectile of being shot at like 100 miles an hour. Anyway, there is a, back to the news, there is a job opening coming up. The uh, White House is in need of a new communications director. Kate Bedingfield is out there. She is um, leaving her job soon. Not really sure when, but it'll be soon. It was announced yesterday. And one thing the media note you want to talk about Joe Biden being a nasty person, being an unpleasant human being, just kind of being a D-bag. When Ginger Goebbels left, they uh, had all the fanfare, they had all the announcements, and they had statement. The president released a statement, or the staff wrote the statement, but the president signed off on it saying, oh, Ginger Goebbels, nobody could spin BS like you. When the communications director to the White House left, the president has yet to say anything about it. Now, the other there's been statements from advisors and things. Oh, she's just wonderful. She's just, but nothing from Joe Biden. Why? Because two weeks ago, Joe Biden he wouldn't fire. He doesn't fire anybody. I don't know why he just doesn't fire anybody. But he, uh, in an interview with. Reuters, I think it was, whoever, when he did the print interview where they doctored the transcript to make him seem coherent and wouldn't release any audio as a term of the uh, interview. He said that he thinks he's doing really well is just that his massive successes have not been communicated well with the public. You see, it's a, it's a, we're too stupid to know how great he's doing. And his staff is not very good at telling us how great he's doing. We should, he's, it's so great that we should get it inherently. We should just know. But his staff should be able to uh, tell us better. So that's kind of a, a flare, if you will. Maybe the president didn't decide to fire or invite Kate Bedingfield to leave. But when you're the communications director and the president of the United States is saying, I'm not being represented well by my communications staff. They're not communicating. You you kind of, you can see the writing on the wall. 
And what's funny about this new is they're all scrambling. There's a couple of different candidates. Is there going to be who's going to be the new communications director? And according to Alex Thompson of Politico, there are two names that come up the most often. Somebody named Elizabeth Alexander. She is the White House deputy assistant to the president and communications director for the first lady. And somebody named Liz Allen, who is at the State Department. She does communications over at the State Department. Joe Biden loves being able to tell the public that his communications team is all women. So he's firing a woman. But he's going to replace her with a woman. Can't just be the best person. This is why Joe Biden is always underserved by his staff in general, is he goes to check boxes. He wants to check boxes. You think Karine Jean-Pierre? who is historic, by the way, is in any way qualified or in any, if there were a, uh, a chart like that uh, sport exertion thing, if there were a chart, the sport exertion thing about uh, the skills necessary to be a press secretary, do you think Karine Jean-Pierre would be boxing, auto racing in the middle, or would she be fishing? I think it's pretty clear she'd be fishing, even fishing, laughing at Karine Jean-Pierre's ability. But if you want a woman, you got to, you know, go with a woman. That's it. We said, look, the face of a woman. Of course, there's also the fact that Joe Biden likes to smell him in the back. So, you know, what are you going to do? But hilariously, the statement from Chief of Staff Ron Klain, if you want to know how bad at communication this White House is, the statement from Ron Klain about Kate Bedingfield leaving the White House reads, quote, without Kate Bedingfield's talent and tenacity, Donald Trump might still be in the White House. The rescue plan and the infrastructure law might still be unrealized goals. And Kentanji Brown Jackson might not be sitting on the Supreme Court. She has played a huge role in everything the president has achieved. Now, did you notice I mispronounced or stuttered on something? It was Kentanji Brown. I'm, I'm pronouncing it the way it's spelled here. From the chief of staff to the president of the United States. He spelled the historic nominee to the Supreme Court. He spelled her first name wrong. There's, if uh, Tucker Carlson mispronounces Kamala, it's Kamala, or however the hell she pretends it to be. Remember when that was a controversy? Oh, to mispronounce her name is, uh, it's horribly racist. Why don't you just, why don't you just beat her over the head? Like, why don't you treat her like Willie Brown did? There's just horrible if you mispronounce her name. But you misspell the name of the historic first black woman to sit on the Supreme Court. And it's cool. If you're the chief of staff to the president, he spelled it K-E-N-T-A-J-I, except it's spelled K-E-T-A-N-J-I. It wasn't off by one letter. It was off by quite a bit. It's Katanji. Katanji. You would look at, you go, Katanji, okay. And you look at the way he spelled it, it's, it's Ken Taiji. But Republicans are racist, remember. Don't ever forget, Republicans are racist. <laughs> Says the party who hire people based on their skin color. Says the party who hire people based on their gender or their sexuality or whatever. Whatever. Pathetic. Not surprising, but pathetic. 
One of my favorite sports is, uh, and I would I would put this one at not much on the skill, but the circular firing squad of the left. This story from uh, BizPack Review cracks me up. A West Philadelphia coffee shop that one website describes as, quote, queer haven, has reportedly shut its doors because it apparently was insufficiently woke to suit its employees. <laughs> no matter how many times you bend the knee to the mob, you will never appease them. And quote, the tireless internet sleuth lives of TikTok, who uh, revealed the situation asserted on Twitter, according to the lives of TikTok newsletter, Mina's World, a cafe in Philadelphia that prided itself in being queer owned, has officially closed its doors after a woke employee revolt. The cafe was owned by Kate Eggart and Sanmar Sanam. I'm not going to get that. Two queer activists who started Mina's in an effort to create an inclusive coffee shop. However, their employees have claimed that Eggart and Parkich are anti-black and uh, gentrifiers. <laughs> it's the the slide rule hierarchy of left-wing victimhood. You laugh at it when I say it, but it's true. The Philadelphia Inquirer confirmed on Saturday that Mina's World had closed over a dispute between the owners and some employees. The news outlet was unable to reach either side for comment. Last June, the Easter Philadelphia website claimed that the establishment is, quote, often highlighted for having, uh, for, for being a queer haven and that it managed to create a vibrant queer community. The shop also charged at no charge a community fridge for those in need. All that was apparently before employees set forth a list of grievances. Oh, these liberals and their grievances. List of grievances, which, among other things, accuse the owners of anti-blackness, ableism, and worker exploitation. Ableism. What? You... <sighs> You're never going to be able to please these people. You should never, can I just say, never ever hire anybody, ever, anywhere, with pronouns in their biography. Anybody who tells you their pronouns, be like, okay, that's great. Yeah, that's great. Oh, uh, we'll go through the motions here because I blocked out the interview time. But he, uh, you're never going to get the job. You're never going to get the job. <laughs> just don't do it. You will be, uh, you'll not be disappointed if you don't hire somebody. You just won't. But this is the woke left. The lives of TikTok claims that the duo posted an apologetic, now-deleted Instagram video, which the popular social influencer likened to a hostage tape in which they admitted to being complicit in non-progressive activities. Non-progressive activities. In the purported clip, they said they were seeking to raise cash to turn the business over to the workers. The owners of the property reportedly owns 18% of the coffee shop. They're trying to raise money. It's, they're trying to turn it over to the workers. No, they're trying to sell it. You guys think you could do better? Way do you hire, you know, deal with the degenerates that we hired as you guys? Quote, the hostile takeover quickly backfired on the woke employees as the owner of the building where Mina's World is housed listed the property for sale. Wah, 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 wah. 
sad trombone, not sad trombone, Price is Right loser music. The business businesses purported Instagram page says that Mina's world is closed. We don't have enough money to continue operating. The people's fridge, the people's fridge. It's right next to the people's eyebrow. Uh, we'll stay in place for the moment. <laughs> A September 2020 Bon Appetit article described the coffee shop this way, quote, but Mina's world is about more than just drinks and decor. It seeks to be an alternative kind of coffee shop in Philly, one that pays its employees fairly, has black and brown employees in managerial positions, prioritizes ethical sourcing when it comes to its coffee, and never turns away a customer. Unless they happen to be a Republican. Unless that, I love it. They did all that crap. But you're never going to be enough. It's never enough. Co-owner Parikh told Bon Appetit at the time, quote, I have worked in coffee since I was 18. Most of the workplaces were really toxic in the sense that the workers were not being paid well. And the white ownership neglected to protect their black and trans employees. The whole point of Mina's is empowering black and brown people with the means uh, those who are doing the labor are also treated with the same level of respect. And you look at the, the, I don't know, she's not white. I think she's Indian. But she's not black enough for the left-wing activists. You got to love it. You got to love it. And along those same lines, this is probably my favorite story of somebody getting what they deserve. I don't, I don't generally revel in people being fired, even people I dislike. But sometimes you kind of have to. Fox Business. A Universal Music Group employee said he was fired from his job for refusing to work after the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade last month and claimed that the termination showed the company did not support its workers, quote, speaking out about abortion rights. Yeah, because when you think of pro-life businesses and pro-life industries, you, you immediately, your mind goes right to the music industry, doesn't it? Biggest pro-family. Yeah, pro-family. Michael Lopez, now a former production coordinator at Universal Music Enterprises, attempted to shame the company in a LinkedIn post last week, saying... He is, quote, a queer brown person who was fired during Pride Month for speaking up in defense of abortion rights. They love, they, it's a woke-off. Every time these people get out of bed, every time they put on a pair of pants or whatever the hell they wear, oh, no, you can't fire me. I'm gay and brown. All right. I can't fire... Well, I'm pretty sure I can fire you. And what you've just done is quite frankly, cause people not to want to hire you again. Why? Because when they go to fire you, because you obviously have some sort of defect when it comes to putting in work, um, they're going to go, I'm not going to hire you. Why? Because if I have cause to fire you, you're going to whine and cry to the media that you have been wronged because you're gay and Hispanic. He wrote, quote, Last Friday, like countless other folks, I was devastated by the news of the Supreme Court's attack on abortion rights. Paired with the flood of anti-queer and anti-trans legislation, it's been hard to process how companies expect us to be productive while our rights are being stripped away. Yeah, it's a shame. somebody somewhere is suffering. I don't know how you can expect. Just you know, don't dock my pay. Just 
keep depositing the direct amount, the correct amount. Lopez said that every Friday, one of his tasks was, quote, to process reports for upcoming release. And he would have to email his work to a list of 275 people. So he's got 275 people dependent in one way or another, probably not to a whole lot of degree, but to one degree or another on his work being done. Except, however, after the court ruling, he decided not to complete the task and emailed his co-workers letting them know, quote, I didn't do them today, Lopez wrote an email of the neglected work. I'm in mourning due to the attack on people with uteruses in the U.S. Federally guaranteed access to abortion is gone. <laughs> Vivendi and Universal Music Group must stop donating to anti-abortion, anti-queer, and anti-trans politicians. Politicians like Marsha Blackburn, Ken Buck, Victoria Sparts, etc. Or expect more unproductive days. Yours in fury, Michael Lopez. Well, guess a funny thing happened on the way to social justice heaven. Fist firmly in the air, head firmly up his rear end. He got fired for it. <laughs> he got fired. But of course he did. Is there any other out? Now, there are many companies out there that would go, oh, well, uh, we have to respect. He's in mourning. He's in mourning. All that work we do every week, it can wait until Monday because little little Mikey there, He's uh, he's up. He's having a case of the sads. He's having a case of the sads. <laughs> so when he got found out that he got fired, he wrote, "Just got fired for this email from Friday." So they're letting you know where they stand on employees speaking out on politicians that support marginalized folks like me. The a brown queer person terminated during Pride Month speaking in support of abortion rights seems like exactly what America is all about right now. You're free to leave, dude. You're free to I'm sure that uh, we can get a nice collection taken up to get your ass on a flight to wherever the hell it is you think you're going to be more welcomed in the United States. Or you know you could just not be a crybaby little brat and do your damn job. I don't revel in people being fired very often, but every once in a while, I will go and order a giant plate of Scheidenfreude, like today. I saw this is happening now. I don't need daily uh, caller. Brittany Griner. I think that's how you pronounce her name. Brittany Griner is pleaded guilty to drug charges in Russia. The WNBA star was arrested months ago after allegedly being in possession of banned hash oil while at an airport. And she entered a plea of a guilty plea on Thursday, according to Reuters. Quote, I'd like to plead guilty, Your Honor, but there was no intent. I did not want to break the law. Now, I have no doubt that this woman is being used as a pawn by Russia. She is, she just, she's the highest profile American. First of all, don't go to Russia. Secondly, she's the highest profile American out there, right? So they've got a high-ish, she's not high profile, it's WNBA, I don't know. Maybe the uh, Russians have an inflated sense. But I, I, I mean, I guess you got to take what you can get if you're looking to engage in high stakes extortion with the United States government, whatever. 
But most people don't know or care. And a lot of people are like me. When you hear about the story, you go, well, that sucks for her. Don't smuggle drugs into other company countries. Pretty much solves the problem, right? Doesn't it? Don't. Hey, you're telling me that uh, marijuana is illegal in Russia. Well, I'll show them. No, that's not how it works. You have to be a special kind of... St- you, you know, the arrogance that some people have. And it's not because she's a WNBA star. And it's not like the, the left is saying, it's only because she's black that nobody cares. No, it's because she's in the WNBA. And also, she's smuggling drugs. Okay, she was smuggling drugs. Don't smuggle drugs. The idea that she could face 10 years in prison seems a bit excessive. But right now, I guarantee you, I don't have the statistics, but I promise you there are Americans sitting in in jail in Singapore, Thailand, other places throughout Asia who you never heard of because they're not professional athletes for drug cases where it's just marijuana. And they're sitting there for an exceedingly long time. And they're sitting there, they're not, it's just hell. And uh, they're, they're totally screwed. And the government is maybe trying to do something for it, but they're not doing that much. I think that the federal government could really, especially some of these Asian countries, be like, look, I get it. You're pissed off at this person. They did this, that, and the other thing. But we are going to completely cut you off if you don't let them go. We'll get them the hell out of the country. You can ban them for forever for coming back to your country. But you gave them 20 years for a quarter ounce of weed. That's ridiculous. We can't sit idly by and let that happen. So there's your choice. We're going to wage an economic war against your puny little country. Or we will uh, have our citizen back and they'll never come back to your pinky swear. Okay. You can sir. You want to give them two years? Two years, fine. And then we'll we'll get them. We'll get them back. You can still say that if they ever return, they'll do the other eighteen. That's fine too. And then it's on them. But get them out. We can do those sorts. They can't do that really with Russia, especially since they're making a point of this person punishing this person. But you also have to sit there and go, what the hell is wrong with you? Why are you bringing weed over there? I'll tell you a story about me it's one of those maybe it's too much information but it's not it's it's just a true story that illustrates the point that i am not above being stupid and then i am also somebody who then goes and wises up at the end it has a happy ending it's like a hallmark movie except it involves marijuana i was uh, traveling europe the first time in 1997 in college we went to amsterdam for the reasons people in college go to Amsterdam. And no, it wasn't a field trip to the Anne Frank house. It was to indulge. It was to see his, what is this? Is this place is, what's this place like? You just kind of have to go and experience it. So I went and experienced it. And I experienced all of it. And so we uh, left and I had some, some leftovers. My girlfriend and I, I had some leftover uh, coffee shop paraphernalia. So I took it with us and we engaged in it. And I think we went to Berlin after that. And we went to a couple other places. It was all travel throughout the European Union, which meant as you went over one border from another, there was you wouldn't even know it. It's like driving from one state to another. 
boom, you just go and used to be apparently, I'd never gone before, but it used to be you'd uh, go from one country to another and they'd stop you. The train would stop. They'd have to come in and see your passports, all this, that, and the other thing. And there was a chance that you could have a run in with a dog or something. And so you didn't take risks, but now there's no risk because they're not even stopping. There's nothing. You gave the, uh, Oh, not the bellboy, the red cap or whatever the European equivalent is. You gave them your passports and they you could sleep as you went across the border. It was an overnight train, which we did many times. And so it was great. Where we went, if we wanted, we had uh, memories of Amsterdam with us. And we could slip back into remembering, reminiscing about Amsterdam, if you will. Well, then came time where we were going into Switzerland. Switzerland, Switzerland doesn't play nice with anybody. Well, they play nice with everybody, but they they do not partake in anything. They are their own entity. They're neutral, like Switzerland. So there was going to be stopping at the border. There was going to be dogs going through. It could have been anything. You don't know. So what I did, being stupid at the time, young and stupid, I had my uh, cigarette pack. I took the wrapping off the cigarette pack. I put the Amsterdam memories that we had left into there, wadded it up really small, chewed some gum, and then stretched that gum around this balled-up plastic, and then put that ball of gum-covered Amsterdam memories in my mouth and proceeded to pretend to chew it. And I thought, well, this this was before we got there. I'm like, this will work. Because if anybody says anything, I'll just swallow it, Right. And so as we're approaching, we start having this conversation. You're like, yeah, this is working. And then we think, this is really stupid. This is incredible. There's no reason. It's a minuscule risk. It's, a, it's probably a, yet a greater risk of being struck by lightning and a meteorite at the same time than being caught at the Swiss border with a small amount of marijuana in gum inside your mouth, which you could easily swallow. Just prospect was so small. It was ridiculous. But there was no point in taking that risk. You go into Russia and you go, I got vape cartridges. There's, okay, probably a lot of people travel there with vape cartridges. Vaping is popular. But the vape cartridges with marijuana, with THC or hash or whatever the hell it is in there, um, illegal, there's, there's no point to it. There's a chance you'll get caught. You want to take that risk then you have to deal with the consequences. What I ended up doing is I went to the bathroom as we were pulling into the station, and I spit it down the toilet. I thought, we're going to Switzerland. Alcohol is legal in Switzerland. You know, we can, we can, we can, we'll survive, right, without this. The trip was coming to an end anyway soon after that. It was Italy and then back home. I don't need this. And so I spit it out. So I ended up ultimately not taking the risk that I was ready to take. Make that decision. You can be smart in the end. I'm sorry that this woman is facing 10 years. That's BS, and we should do something to get her out. But to portray her as she's being portrayed as exclusively this sweet, innocent victim ignores the fact that she took a risk. She took a stupid risk. She's going over there to play or coming back here from playing. Whatever it was, you're going through a security checkpoint and customs, I imagine. And you, you just decide, I've got to have this. If you didn't know the laws, or your agent didn't tell you the laws, that's not the fault of the country. If it weren't Russia, if it were 
France or Germany or England or Canada or whatever, and somebody got caught in the same circumstance. I don't know the. Don't send me emails about the rules or laws in those countries or whatever. I'm just making a point. And people wouldn't have a problem with it. Now, you broke the law. Don't break the law. Don't be stupid and break the law. If you do break the law, and I'm saying this as somebody who's broken many, many laws, if you do break the law and you get caught, you got to accept the consequences. That's part of the decision-making process in deciding to break the law. I don't think you, you know, go, oh, geez, I didn't realize I'd just broken the law. I didn't realize that you weren't allowed to smuggle in drugs into a foreign country. Of course you did. You knew that. Everybody knows that. It takes a special kind of stupid to not know that. So just decide whether or not the risk is worth it to you and act accordingly. But don't go, oh, I'm a victim when you get caught. You're not a victim when you got caught. You're a criminal when you get caught. I didn't, I don't think I mentioned this yesterday, but I, I did mention it yesterday, as a matter of fact, now that I remember. But Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, banned, Democrats in California banned state-funded travel to 22 different states based on whatever law, outrage, things leftists were outraged over at any given time. We're so mad at this. We're so mad at the other person. Oh, they, they said only only women should use the women's room. That's an outrage. And so you can't travel there. Well, Gavin Newsom is currently vacationing in Montana. His staff was pretty squirrely about where he was. Because that's not official travel. Well, it's not official travel, his vacation. He travels with security detail. He travels with staff. He's got to be the governor at all time. So it is state-funded, not his part, theoretically, although it wouldn't surprise me if he submitted a couple of receipts. But it's just another example of the hypocrisy of the left. Uh, this story is uh, not going to get a lot of attention because of the names and nationalities of the perpetrators, but it should. In the wake of the horrible shooting on the 4th of July in Highland Park, Illinois, this story from ABC News, Virginia say, a, police say a hero citizen helped prevent a mass shooting allegedly planned at a 4th of July celebration in Richmond, Virginia. News of the thwarted attack comes as seven people were killed. Uh, quote, there's no telling how many lives this hero citizen saved from one phone call, Richmond police said. Richmond police received a tip from a citizen on July 1st who, quote, overheard a conversation that there was a mass shooting being planned, the police chief said, acting on the tip that day. My God, police actually acting on information. Acting on a tip that day, police began an investigation along with Homeland Security. Officers responded to an apartment in Richmond, quote, saw evidence in a plain view that corroborated the hero witness's statement. According to Smith, officers seized two assault rifles. There's pictures of them there. Uh, one handgun, 223 rounds of ammunition. The suspect, Julio Alvardo Dubon... 52, was taken into custody and charged with possession of a firearm as a non-U.S. citizen. Non-U.S. citizens do not get to... It's weird how they can... Non-U.S. citizens can't avail themselves of their Second Amendment rights. I think we're all in agreement on that. But thanks to the left-wingers, they get everything else. Everything else, including voting, including uh, welfare, everything else. It's weird. I wonder if conservatives said, you know what? Illegal aliens should be able to have a Second Amendment right, too. If you're going to say that 
rights apply to them? Our American rights apply to them. It's got to be all of them, doesn't it? Hmm, I don't know. Police surveilled Elvardo's roommate, identified as Rolman Balacarella, I don't know, 38, for several days before he was arrested Tuesday in Albemarine County, Virginia, on the same charge. Additional charges could be possible for both suspects. Authorities allege the two were plotting a mass shooting at a 4th of July celebration at the Dogwood Dell Amphitheater. The Diamond Baseball Stadium was another area of concern, Smith said. Quote, they were planning to actually shoot up our 4th of July celebration. We know what their intent is, but we don't have their motive. The two suspects were not previously known to Richmond police. They are being held in jail on no bond. Smith said it is unclear if they have an attorney. So they are not U.S. citizens, but are they in the country illegally? That we do not yet know. Would it surprise you to learn that they are not in the... It, it, it doesn't even really matter, given how the left talks about this country. The way the left talks about the people of this country, it shouldn't surprise anybody that you've got Americans here who hate the country. You've got Americans here who commit atrocities. You got Americans here who bask in our freedoms and still whine on college campuses where they're the most privileged. It's the easiest their life is ever going to be. And what do they do? They go, this is the worst. This country is so oppressive. I couldn't possibly do my work today. Roe v. Wade has been overturned. And so I'm taking a me day. What do you mean I'm fired? Don't you know that I'm a minority and gay? You can't fire me. Now, human beings have never had it as good as we have it right now. Our entire species has never had it as good as we have it right now. And the place where our species, the royalty, if you will, of our species is right here in the United States of America, where everybody, even the poor, have it better than the poor had it 200 years ago or before. 150 years. You could probably go back maybe 100 years, a little more than 100 years. We have it better than everybody, no matter who it was. King, queen, to a dirt merchant. It doesn't matter. We currently have it better than our species has ever had it as a species, and we in this country have it better than our species has it everywhere else in the world. And we have a group of people in this country who constantly whine about how horrible it is. It's never been this bad. There's something about the reptilian brain and dumb liberals that lets them, makes them incapable of accepting reality. You got it pretty good. This is horrible, oppressive. Oh my God, I can't have an abortion. You know what? You got a room. You got a roof. You got air conditioning. You got cable. You got electric. You got a phone. You got food. You got all this stuff. Now it's getting more expensive thanks to Joe Biden. But 150 years ago, you wouldn't have had any of those things. And if you cut yourself, you'd probably die. You'd pro you cut yourself on a rusty nail. It's pretty much over for you. It's not going to. They maybe have to just be able to amputate your arm or your leg or whatever it is. But so don't tell me. Or somebody just come along 500 years ago and say, "Hey, you, you are a part of this kingdom here. You got to go to war." 
What do you mean? I gotta, what do you mean I got to go? I don't even know who you are. I don't know where I am. I don't know these people you want me to go kill. Like, all right, well, here's your choice. Uh, we'll kill you right now or you come with us and you have a chance to live. All right, well, let me get my stuff. You've never had it. We've never had it better. And all that the people do on the left is whine and complain about how horrible this country is. You're free to go. You're free to leave. As they say, other totalitarian regimes, actual totalitarian regimes, have walls to keep their people in. We have walls to keep those people out because we can't accommodate them all. Yet we are the only country who has bothered to go and fight wars for liberation of other countries. We didn't go to your, we could we could have theoretically if we'd wanted to if we'd have been like pretty much all of human history up to that point after world war ii we could have been as close as anybody has come to controlling the world honestly we had europe we had at least the western part of europe and we could have pretty easily kicked the crap out of russia at that time we had nukes they didn't and we controlled huge swaths of Asia, Asia, and we could have just said, we're not giving it back. These are now ours. We're going to pilfer your uh, natural resources, and we're going to colonize you. You're part of us now. Get used to the idea. We could have. That's what everybody else did all throughout human history, no matter what color they are. No matter where they are in the world, the conquerors, to the victor go the spoils. But we for the first time, said, we're not going to do that. We're out. We're done. We're leaving. We'll help you rebuild and get you back on your feet. We happen to be uniquely positioned to do that because everybody else's economy and infrastructure was destroyed, but you get the point. Yet this leftist mindset of we're nothing but a horrible bunch of colonizers, I weep for these people, not because they're so wrong, because they're so dumb they're so proud of their wrongness their ignorance is so easily disproven and yet they embrace it that's a sign of stupidity that can't be overcome as we wrap it up here i just want to point this out because it is um it's very interesting a guy named nasser hussein writes for real clear politics it's a a tale of two latinas and it is uh, quite a tale of two different Latinas. Myra Flores, who just won down in Brownsville, Texas. It's 85% Hispanic district for 150 years. It had been Democrats. They went for Joe. They went for Hillary. They're all over the place. And now she won as a Republican. 150 years. And now she flipped the district. And how is the media treating her? The media is treating her like, like crap. Just to just to put it mildly, to put it mildly, they're treating her like garbage because she's upsetting the narrative. She's upsetting the narrative. A conserv- She's the first. Now, you should hear about her because, my God, the left loves firsts, do they not? They absolutely love, love, love firsts. She's the first Mexican-born American citizen elected to Congress. That should be huge news. Instead, the New York Times did a story about her. The title, The Rise of the Far-Right Latina. 
Subheadline, Representative Myra Flores is one of three Republican Latinas vying to transform South Texas politics by shunning moderates and often embracing the extreme. The extreme! What? What is it, like an energy drink now that they're doing? It's weird how things are framed, isn't it? Meanwhile, think about how Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is portrayed by the media and is always portrayed by the media. You hear her, she hates this country. She doesn't understand this country. She is civically-minded moron. She knows nothing about how this country was founded or works, and yet she is treated as though she is a serious person. She is treated as though she is a, uh, a wonderful hero to the Hispanic people. She's Puerto, half Puerto Rican. She's a hero. Just ask her. And you're like, what, how, why is there a difference? Well, it's because of the letter after their name. Real clear politics. Uh, Flores has received hardly any of this adulation from the media coverage, which is odd given that she is the first Mexican-born woman elected to Congress. Except for a few appearances on Fox News, Flores didn't even get the benefit from the fawning interviews of MSNBC or CNN that helped make AOC a household name. Given all the emphasis on firsts and representation in our culture and social life over the past decade, one would expect Flores to be plastered all over the mainstream media for the coming months, if not years. Gender and ethnicity, it seems, only matter when it suits a particular partisan agenda. Absolutely, 100%. AOC is a hero. She's a, a shining beacon to Hispanic women everywhere. She's willing to drive you to get an abortion. Not really, but she would. But Flores' problem. See, when Flores was asked how she could possibly be a Republican when she was born in Mexico, she responded, quote, They know nothing about our culture. Flores' socially conservative culture emphasizes faith, family, and hard work, values that were once the bedrock of American society, replenished anew with each new wave of immigration. Flores's Mexican heritage is especially significant. The Latino experience in America is diverse, and while Republicans can expect to get some support from Cubans and Venezuelans fleeing, fleeing communist rule, Mexicans and other Hispanics have, in recent years, voted increasingly for Democrats. Flores's victory suggests this may be about to change. That scares the absolute hell out of the left, and that means that they have to ignore her. They have to ignore her until they see a chance to destroy her. And I'm not saying they're ignoring her. They're not ignoring her. They're watching her. They're waiting. As soon as she does or says anything, they'll ignore her, ignore her, ignore her. As soon as she does or says anything that they can bastardize into fitting their agenda, they will immediately pounce. Suddenly they will take a deep, deep-rooted interest in them. It's like... Somebody coming out of the bushes. You know, like you look at the house, there's nobody there. And they're like, okay, the cops are gone. And all these people come out of the bushes. Whoa, what the hell? Where are they hiding? That's the media. They're going to watch her. They're going to, they all follow her. They won't retweet her. They won't tweet about her. They will ignore her press releases from her office. They will ignore everything about her unless and until she says something. Something, anything that they think they can use. Or something they will watch what they'll try to do here's what they'll try to do they'll try to find something she says 
that they can then immediately take and run to AOC. Run to AOC and say, AOC, what do you think about this? Uh, Mara Flores said this. What do you think? Because uh, AOC is the official spokeswoman, special spokesperson, sorry, for the Hispanic community throughout the world. It's just true. AOC, the 95% of Hispanics go Latinx or Latinx is a stupid phrase. Stop using it. AOC says, oh, gender is fluid and so is language. Latinx is the way it should be. And the media all go, oh, all right, well, there you go. God has spoken. The burning bush up there has uh, decreed that we shall use this term Latinx. So it'll be interesting. They will try to pit them against each other in a way that favors AOC. The coverage will favor AOC because they need to destroy her. They need to destroy her. She represents something Democrats are not capable of dealing with, and that is free-thinking minorities. You're not allowed to do that. It is what they frown upon. More and more people are waking up to the fact that Democrats suck. They're terrible. They're not the solution to the problems. They're the cause of the problems. And there's no argument against that. There's no course correction. Joe Biden sees gas prices and he's still shipping oil over to China, for God's sakes. So you sit there and you go, he's not able to course correct for whatever reason. He's certainly not willing to course correct. So they have to destroy like whack-a-mole anybody who strays. Fortunately for them, there's far too many people straying now. Far too many moles to whack. They're going to ultimately get whacked. And not in a good way. Couldn't happen to nicer people. Okay, that is enough for today and enough for, well, not enough for this week because we got the curse program. Midnight, 12, 12.01 Eastern Time tonight. It will be up at patreon.com slash Derek Hunter Podcast or DerekHunter.locals.com. Otherwise, we'll be back here on Monday to do it all over again. Have yourself a glorious weekend. Thank you so much for listening and for your support. I'll see you soon. 